so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name's Sam Mose. I'm with my good friend, Matt Garber. Hello. And today's episode is very, very, very exciting. And I'm calling it working title, and Matt will correct me probably, of how we master a song today. Our approach to mastering we, a song. Yeah, there you go. We are going to give you, the audience, a peek behind the curtain to how Matt and I master songs, our approach mindset. We may get into technical things if we have time. If not, you can DM us online. We'll nerd out there. But we're going to each talk about how we approach uh, mastering a song, which, believe it or not, there's multiple ways to master and do great work. So that's today's episode. Housekeeping! Hello! Okay, housekeeping. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so good. It's so weird. You like mint on your pillow? Oh, fluff pillow. Okay. Please don't hate us for doing that <laughs> little character. Um, housekeeping rules. We would love for y'all to continue to share the podcast on the social medias. Some of y'all are doing it, and it is so fun. Thank you. You're Thank you. bringing people to our show you're creating a bigger community and people are making better records because of this podcast and more so the community that's being created so uh like our show subscribe really all matt and i care about is if you could tell one person in your life uh that would just make our day i think at least it'd make my day kind of it would make my day better overall if you would share this today with someone else who likes audio and dad jokes. <laughs> so I think Is that that's the end of the housekeeping. I think that's housekeeping. Okay. Nice. So the episode, Matt, how we master a song, our approach to mastering. Uh, it's very different. Very different. Do you want to start and talk about how you <clears throat> master a song? I can start. Yeah. A dialogue. Start the dialogue. Let's have a chat. A chat. Okay. Um, mine's, I don't know. So are we, I don't think we ever finished this conversation in pre-pro. Mm. Uh, are we starting from the moment we get a song or from like, it's already in the DAW and loaded up? What How are about, we looking at? Let's assume you've already got the song. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean you can't revert back to a conversation or client dialogue that impacts your approach to mastering. I think, like, the most important thing is, like, on the little mastering checklist thing that I have, there's a, like, a little thing of, like, expectations and sonic references and stuff like that and making sure that I know like where they want their song to go and then listening to it being like, yeah, we can get there. Right. Um, normally when I get the file, I norm- I've norm i been playing with this since April or May. I've been uh, doing a little bit of uh, upsample goodness. Oh, uh, why do RX you do 7. that? Tell me. Tell me why. Well, because uh, because Justin Perkins of Mystery Room Mastering told me that it's a good idea, and so I do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, him and I talk about that a lot, though. Um, uh, I'll, I'll normally upsample to ninety six twenty four, and you just like 
like whenever you're running through gear and you go back and you print, it's like essentially you're adding and you're writing like all this like new information like right. in all of that uh, beautiful land of blackness that normally is just chilling and just pure black in RX. <laughs> um, and you're writing all this goodness up into there and... Um, yeah, and it just like it just it, it just feels like a little more spacious. It feels like there's more room for things to move around and just an all-around nicer place to start. However, my computer hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like I can't really run like Soothe 1 really <laughs> well with it just because it's such a like a CPU hog. Right. Um <clears throat> Since doing that, I got a UAD satellite and became a UAD fanboy. Um, I don't do a lot with it. And I don't do a lot with plugins in general, but I will make a decision pretty early on if I'm going to need any plugins. Mm-hmm. And typically, if I do any type of plugin, like pre analog gear, I also make a decision am I going to use analog gear? Yeah. Um, 99% of the time, the answer is yes. There's a very like small amount of time that I choose to uh, generally just stay in the box, but it's it that's it's either too good to go out mm-hmm. because like you are going to lose something at that point. Right. Or sometimes it's like it's too screwed up to go out. <laughs> but it's not too screwed up for me to send it back. Yeah. So, and it's like analog gear is not going to fix this. So, right. <laughs> that sounds really bad, but I mean, some sometimes stuff's like, like kind of wonky, and you can just kind of like give it like a push, a shove, and like a jolt with like a massive passive or something. And I've like remixed a song with that thing. Yeah. So at the at like like I'm in the DAW and now I make a decision: Am I going to go analog or not? And along with that decision, is there any corrective action that needs to be made uh, with a plugin? And it's not always a bad corrective action. Like there, I normally like to hit my gear um, right around like minus eighteen RMS. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be louder than that. If it's like starting to kind of get like there's like a lot of or like not a lot of movement and stuff like that, I may just go into like the gain section uh, for the track. Yeah, and I may like dial it back like two or three dB, and then normally I'm pretty solid. Like I got something at minus nine this week, RMS, and. I was like, yeah, it's a little bit hot. And so it's like I dialed it back a little bit. I might do that with that. I might do it with a plug-in. Um, but also it's like what you know, you have a, have to have this mental conversation. Like what is driving this thing into oblivion if it is loud? Because it might be like the low end is just like super crazy. And if you have really hot low end and like it's not really balanced that well. It could either go back or it's like, eh, maybe I can take a shot at this. And maybe we can like rebalance things like in mid side a little bit. And so you get like a lot of low end on the sides and it's not really a genre where that's appropriate. So uh, just kind of reassigning uh, a new seating chart for the low end. So uh, what do you like? Like, do you do any pre analog? Uh, 
plugins or any of that kind of jazz? Um, yeah, sometimes I will, depending on. I mean, my big view, like approach, is always obviously and same for you is listen to the song and yeah. then determine, like you're saying, where is the song at for me? Where do I think it needs to go? And how do I marry that with the client's vision and my expertise? And from that, uh, after I listen to the song and think about where it needs to go to basically be in the marketplace or compete or the genre, the label or sync or whatever we're we're trying to do with this song, that taps into my mental tool belt of how are we going to get there, um, of what to use and not to use. At this stage, I feel like I'm pretty confident in what works and doesn't work to get us there. And usually there's a few routes to even, in my opinion, to still get to the end product they want. Um, and so that'll determine, you know, anytime I do something in the box before we go out of the box, it usually has to do with taming some transients or a rather mm. um, dynamic song where their end goal is to get it to be compressed more loud more often, which makes it sound loud, really loud. Um, so if that's the case, and I know that my analog gear, if I stack things, still may have a little difficulty, or I just want my first thing, usually I limit first um, out of the box, which is very different for most people. Um, but in theory, if I'm if I'm working in the box and using a plugin, it's usually a limiter to start with, uh, taking off a dB or two, depending on the content and how I set the attack and release to then work smoothly into the better maker usually first, uh, where I'll, I'll limit, c- limit clip, saturate. It just depends on what the song needs. Sometimes it needs nothing, really. Sometimes it needs lots of things. Um... But that's mainly the the one thing I'll do, I'll say, in the box, like pre-hitting gear. I don't really do much EQ correction. I'm not like a cutter anyway. Um, When I EQ and master, even when I mix, I'm just a booster. I said online the other day, somebody asked me a question on Instagram, and I just said I boost till my problems go away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um, it's an interesting approach, and uh, it's great. And I don't want anyone to DM me about the pros and cons of boosting versus cutting and phase and blah blah blah. I'm aware of them. Uh, I like the sound I create with boosting. One of the main arguments against boosting is people say it eats up too much headroom, but if you know how to gain stage properly, you have plenty of headroom, and you also know getting things really loud is pretty simple at the end of the day after you have your EQ balance, in my opinion, um, going because everything else works more smoothly. So, yeah. If I I got too much low end, I'm not going to boost my way out of it, though. If you have too much low end, you won't boost. Yeah, if it's like something's like incredibly unbalanced, I mean, that's not like an, that can't be like an every case situation. Just about for me, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking like, well, I do. <laughs> like, all right, well, we got a fucking Zeus over here. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> when you said that, positive. I was just like, yeah, but I do. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sam sitting on his clouds with his lightning bolts. My uh, Sam Lightning. Um, there you go. That's the name. But 
the so reason to do a mural of Sam on a cloud. <laughs> oh my gosh, paint it on the top of a church. Just, yes, let someone do that, please, Sam for Lamy. me. <laughs> I would need to commission someone to do that. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just hate taking away. I hate taking away almost anything in a song because I feel like it starts to impact the <clears> harmonic <throat> character. Which, of course, if you're boosting, you're like, oh, you're impacting harmonics differently. But anytime I I pull out low end, I feel like um, I'm pulling out foundations of the extension of the low end that's in the song with it. And um, I just like really energetic, over-the-top masters. And that doesn't mean it's hi-fi sounding. Sometimes when I say that, people are like, oh, so you just like smiley face. Definitely not. Um, it's, it's just an approach. It's just a sound I've created, and I probably do it that way because of the way I stack gear and I need a little extra oomph and EQ balance and stuff to then push into the next stage of compression or limiting. So I've just created my own chain, but that's, you know, to answer your question, then we could dialogue some more is I will usually only use in the box plugins to start with if I know we have to get to an extreme level of compression. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song just isn't going to hold up um, without having a little bit of uh, smoothing over to begin with. So, mm-hmm. but that's mainly yeah, how I, I use it. I would say, as far as plugins, um, my standard thing that's pulled up is I have an instance of Ozone that's just like an Ozone MS EQ and then an Ozone Stereo EQ, just in case I need something. I don't really remember the last time I used those. But like, if there's just like a tone that just like really obnoxious, I used to be a pretty big cutter, and yeah. now I've more gone to the side of boosting only for the most part. But if there is something that's like 400 hertz and just like, it's like, yeah, okay, I'll see if I can fix this. Um, I'll try to make some adjustments just because, at least with the way I have things set up, I know it's not going to jive well, and I know where things need to hit, and. After that, I have. I really like the Acoustica Scarlet. I don't like anything else Acoustica makes, <laughs> but I really like the Scarlet little Sontek. Um, is that Sontek? Yeah, it's an EQ. Um, uh, Sontek EQ emulation. And it's. Uh, see, I feel like I'm not saying that name right. I'm not, I think I type it more than I say it. Sontek? Yeah. The, the 432. Yeah. Yeah. I just typed it out. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I you know, like when you say a word and it just like oh, doesn't yeah. mean like you ever say goat too much or like yeah, any word I say like ten times. Like, yeah, like door, the, door, yeah. door. The, <laughs> yeah, I question the just, whole English that's language. That's what just happened to me. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, just a, a, a Sontek EQ and even just like turning it on, it's like a little bit of color. It's kind of nice, but it's got like a. It, it's like if you're ever missing like a little bit of low end, you want like a little bit of thump. You can take care of that pretty. Uh, pretty darn quick. And then um, another thing I have, and it's just like three plugins, the Ozone, the Acoustica, and then I have that BXXL V2. I actually like that just in case. I I do not use it for limiting at all unless something's really, really hot. Um, I actually use it completely for rebalancing. So it is there if like there's a vocal that's like kind of like Five or ten degrees off to the left or right side, and needs like the mono needs adjusted, yeah. Or like this is just too wide for like what's going on, or maybe we can get away with like a little bit of widening. Um, 
that whole or it's like maybe the like like the mid is like really far back and for your references, that's not how I think you want it. And so it's like you can just do a really quick pop at like, I don't know, point three and oh, there we go. Right. So and that makes that adjustment. So that's really the only reason I have that. Um and those are not like on. That's like a what if. So uh so you wanna talk about going out <laughs> and approaching a song? Coming out, yeah. Yeah. So if if, if you just oh, do you normally say I'm gonna use the analog chain on everything? Um I mean, not at this stage. It's always a mindset of kind of like you said, like I have some pretty defined boundaries with if a song comes in, like some of my clients mix into consoles and they pin it like to the console or even a couple of yeah. tape. So it is already, you know, all the all the vibes are there. Everything is there. It's pinned against the wall how they want it. And at that yeah. stage, I've done enough albums with them to know if I take this out of the box and add more harmonics or naturally happening just through hitting wires and tubes, transistors, whatever, even the clean, you know, stuff, like it's it feels like it's not um needed at that stage for that sort of stuff. Sometimes some of the pop or trap really fast transient punchy stuff uh doesn't always do well with analog. It might be a little too slow um mm-hmm. to where it feels like maybe the song got beefier and bigger, but it lost its fun impact of energy. So s- some of the pop stuff I keep in the box because it just seems like it was made in the box and it doesn't sound bad. A lot of people talk about like going out of the box to solve like digititis or whatever the hell that phrase is <laughs> that's been made up. And uh, I say that a lot. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think, a fine phrase. And there is some of that, but also I think it's like missing what analog can do and not do and the purpose of why I go out of the box. Um, but yeah, a lot of, you know, stuff like that that feels really tight and clean. The last thing I want to do is like kind of add density to a really clean, kind of minimalistic type of song um, and a lot of pop and trap kind of lands in that where there's you know eight things or ten things and that's it. And the the coolness of the song is in the space, the emptiness. So that contrast um, between like the really tight feeling uh, mid-range versus, you know, if I take it out of the box, sometimes things get too beefy. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the things where I'll decide to keep it in the box. Um I like going out of the box though most of the time. I do think it yields. I think if I had it my way, if I really was selfish, I would take everything out of the box. Mm-hmm. And just because I think I personally believe sonically, which is one part of many parts of a song and its success and where it's going in end goal, but. I think selfishly, I'd probably take everything out of the box, but I just know at my my heart of heart, my professionalism. Perhaps it's mm-hmm. like with basketball, like you could always do. <clears throat> gosh, I don't even know, want to do a sports analogy, but maybe like instead of always just doing the super cool basketball shot, you've got to take some like different types of shots that are best for the team. <laughs> 
that might be a bad analogy. But anyway, um, instead of always like tomahawk dunking, sometimes you got to pass and do the little bank shot. <laughs> Maybe that's Is it. the tomahawk dunk like the famous like Jordan kind of thing? I don't even you know. Yeah, with the tongue out. I mean, Jordan did like his free throw dunk. So um, maybe the free throw dunk, jump from the free throw line to dunk, um, even though it's cool and amazing and one of the most spectacular things to ever happen, and he could probably do that quite a bit, he chooses not to do that because it's not best for the team. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I, you know, I like working out of the box personally uh, I think it's cool I think you get a bit more unique sonics going but that always isn't necessarily the need for the song so that's kind of where I land like am I going to go out of the box excuse me just burped Uh, most likely yeah I will probably go out of the box but I always listen first and look at what my client wants and the references and I also know like a lot of a lot of like bigger albums are being made in the box now. Um, a lot of the independent stuff that's getting more and more popular is just done in somebody's bedroom. Um, so it's, you know, there's a certain sound, especially within, um, I'm obsessed with hyper pop right now. And I know for a fact, hyper pop is not made out of the box at all. <laughs> it's just slammed into a DAW and, uh, who knows if they're even putting limiters on the stuff the way it clips and things. Mm-hmm. So that's a sound like I've been dabbling in with people <laughs> and the way to really get it is to like clip digitally um, and not go out of the box. You can achieve some wild clipping uh, digitally, which traditionally people be like, that sounds like trash, which, you know, it kind of does, but for the type of genre and stylistic, it kind of works. So... It just, it's always to me about like listening to the client's vision and where they want to go and where the song is, and then, you know, choosing the right path for that song to take to reach its potential. And that determines what I'm going to use or not use. I feel like new genres like hyperpop are a step in the direction. Now, it's not going to be this genre, it's going to be like a few genres down the road. Uh huh. But it's a step in the direction of kids being like, yo, have you heard USB 1? Right. No, I think you're <laughs> right on that. Cause a lot it's going to be a thing. A lot of that production, too, sounds like the old like stock Nexus synths, like stuff I used to have cracks <laughs> of 15 years ago. Like the pre, some of the songs that are really big, I'm like, that is preset Circus Pluck 2. Like, <laughs> <laughs> from 15 years ago that I downloaded from LimeWire or something like it's kind of We're a gonna totally make thing. a piece of merch with like USB like a USB one end connector yeah and it's just gonna say vintage tone vintage tone so yeah so that's you know kind of how I discern about in the box out of the box deciding so so let's say that <clears throat> excuse me yeah. <clears throat> So let's say, okay, we are going out of the box. Okay. Uh, Do you have a typical signal chain? Does this change up really at all? Um, Is it bad to use all the gear on one master? (laughs) Is it, are you trying to like hop around as quickly as possible? What are you you normally looking at? 
I'll try and keep it concise. Uh, I typically have everything kind of wired up in a chain of where I would want things to stack. So when I say that, that means I like have limiter, EQ, compression, limiting, EQ, saturation, EQ. And I'm a actually like a one-to-one guy, so I don't use patch bay. I have it all rigged up in this chain. Daisy chain? Yeah. So less cabling as possible. Um, and I have a... If I don't want to use a piece of gear, I just hit the bypass. And all this gear is so good that it's it's the you know, truly bypassing in theory. And if it's not, I don't care. <laughs> like whatever it's hitting, I still enjoy. Um, and it's part of the sound. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I will normally go down the same chain. Um and then from there. I mean, what I normally do is like limit and or clip EQ. Which is unique. Right. Start. Yeah. And then compress limit and or then EQ, then saturate that. So, and then what comes are, back to the box. What are you doing? Your se- What's your second limiter in your chain that you're using? The second limiter is usually, I'm either going to the uh, tube tech, which is a compressor okay. or limiter, okay, or the SSL mm. is in line there as well, back to back. Um, and by SSL, I mean sorry, it's the Stam SSL, uh, their version of the G Comp. Want to make sure? Nice. I make. I've heard they sound pretty darn close. They honestly are great, and they have addressed the low end output issue with, um, like the consoles and the G comps, the actual ones. As you boost, it was kind of like, I mean, you were just talking about the other day that like all output knobs have a sound, basically. Oh yeah, I said that today to somebody. And. the SSL G comp and on the console, the makeup gain on it as you crank it up louder, um, it kind of thins out the low end. Hmm. So they've addressed that, and that's why they also incorporated the uh, sidechain filter um, hmm. with it. But that was it's. I'm not going to call it an issue, but that's something that's kind of part of the SSL, SSL sound. Is kind of you can almost EQ by that output knob. Um, a little bit, which is kind of fun. Nice. Um, but yeah, my chain is pretty, pretty set in stone. Which you know, to move on to the next quick sh- question quickly, it's I don't use everything. Usually, um, it's usually a few pieces of gear, and then in the box coming back in, depending on where the song is. I mean, plugins I love that we've talked about, uh, Oxford Limiter. Oxford inflator, really love. Um, my Fab Filter Pro L2 is sitting at the end to just catch final peak and level. It's not doing any heavy lifting usually. A little tickle. Yeah, it's just sitting there. Um, and then it just depends, honestly. There's some fun plugins that I like sometimes, like. Um, let me just look at my uh, 
signal chain or my thing. Um, like the SSL saturator is cool. I picked that up a while ago, and that can be really cool from the actual SSL company. Um, and then, you know, I was saying I have so many things, but I'm just looking at like I don't actually use that much in the box. Uh, the other thing on here, I mean, I just picked up um, the Abbey Road Saturator on Black Friday, and I used that on nice. kind of an old school song, and it has a blend knob, so that's cool. Um, I don't know. That's kind of there's not a ton, honestly. Um, soothe sometimes. Soothe too. Maybe. Arr. Maybe Soothe 2. Using some Soothe? Maybe. Not really. I still like Soothe 1. Um, soothe 2 uh, is that cool thing on like the resolution section where it's like you can kind of like dial up from normal, high to ultra if like yeah. you need something. Like if somebody's reference is like Steely Dan, it's like, okay, well, I know <laughs> this is getting used. Right, yeah. I'm not even going to use Soothe. I'm just going to, I'm just going to play with this resolution thing. Yeah. Uh, I have to shout out Tokyo Dawn Lab TDR Limiter 6 Gentleman's Edition Matt Huber who's a mixer I work with turned me on to that and that gets used every once in a while you can stack it's got a multi-band clipper in it and sometimes for uh, trappy stuff it just sounds awesome with the multi-band clipping um, but that's about it for in the box um, excuse me so, yeah, I would say the chain, you know, stays. It's been pretty similar. And, um, you know, I'm different. I, I limit EQ, limit, I stack things. I like to stack mm-hmm. stuff. I find that it adds fun energy. Um, and that complements the type of records I work on, I feel like. So, nice. Um, yeah. But what about you? What about your chain? Do you feel like by yeah, the time this episode airs, you're gonna go? You'll have like a new <laughs> thing you'll be playing with. I don't know. Probably. I changed so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't done yeah. a ton of gear in the past twelve months. Um, I picked up a bunch of plugins on Black Friday. Yeah, more like plugin stuff that you're gonna play with. Yeah, I mean, I got Gain Station by Mike Dean, which is pretty destructive, but it's Pultec style EQ with with clipper and um you know for pop trap trappy rap it could find a place potentially um what else did i pick up that could be a for mastering um um, 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 um. going down oh uh native instruments their modeling of the massive passive in the Veramu uh, comp, uh, could potentially find its way. Maybe I mean I have the outboard of Mass Passive, but this one is modeled after a different one, so could potentially be. I something. think I like that. Well, I and you and I were chatting over the weekend. I was yeah. actually very unresponsive over the weekend, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I came back to my phone. I was like, "Holy moly!" Because um, I normally do that to your phone, <laughs> but yeah, I. I like the massive passive one that they have a lot more than the uh uh than the UAD. I, I don't really think UAD sounds anything like 
the manly stuff. Yeah. Um, the the very mu. I don't really think that the that the speed of like the like attack and release speeds. I don't really think that they're that accurate. I mean, even on the fast mode for the very mu, it's really slow. Yeah. So and like that that one, it's like you'd probably look at it and be like, oh, this moves pretty slow. It's like, well, yeah, compared to like an SSL, but I mean, I mean, even for a very mute, this thing moves pretty dang slow. Yeah. So, and that plugin is like it moves relatively fast comparatively. And I was like, eh, I don't really know about that. Yeah. Um, the output gain on it sounds pretty good. I like that a lot. That enhanced EQ. If you want like a little secret weapon going into 2021, that thing is freaking nice. Yeah. I haven't played at the low end on it, but I've been really dabbling with the mid band, and I like that a lot. And the uh, and the output of it is just like I did a little bit of an automation on a song yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was automating that thing into a limiter. When I say automate, I was literally like point two. For like Just the choruses, so it's like literally tickles. nothing big, <laughs> but it was like it has enough flavor that it just like does like a little boop, and then as you come out into like a bridge, you go boop, and it was great, <laughs> and it exact boop, and it was exactly what the song needs. I know like some people like do like a hefty amount of automation, not like in terms of like how much, but in terms of like level changes. Yeah, um, I'm pretty much like under. Like, no more than 0.5, unless something just, like, really needs to move. I mean, there have been songs where it's like, yeah, let's take this whole thing up 2B over the whole, 2DB over the course of the whole song. Sure, let's yeah. go with that. But um, that is very rare. <clears throat> so, uh, as for me, let's see. I'm, like, looking over my pop filter at this sultry rig. <laughs> um <laughs> If I go out, which is most times, uh, the backs is optional. I might do that. Um, it's more just like, hey, how do I want to stage it into the very mute? Because that's what's next. Um, <clears throat> normally, if you want to steal my settings, kind of thing, <laughs> um, I'll normally set like the very mute like minus eight and a half. So it's like the nine o'clock position. I don't know why. I just really like how it drives. I've also like kind of opened it up and toyed around with some of the inputs and output like volumes and stuff. So when you switch it on, it might not be the same as yours, but that's what I like to do. Um, and uh, the massive passive is very nice. I'd say it's used about eighty percent of the time, and that's all like channel one for me. Um, I honestly I don't use any of the low band and I don't use any of the high band. Um, if I need lows, I go to the Masalik. And if I need highs, I also go to the mass leg. Yeah. Or I uh, I do it on the backs. And I really love the uh, 4.8K shelf on the backs. It is super nice. But the backs is always in. The backs is never out. I don't know why. I just prefer it um, inserted. So I don't really compress too much of the very mu, maybe like less than a quarter dB. Um and I, I don't know. May, I, I might do it more. I think I've gone up to like a dB and a half on like some crazy stuff. But I mean, it worked. I mean, you're using enough output gain that um, it's not really going to like. You never. You're not really going to hear it too much unless you really like leave it up there. Uh, let's see. I also kind of modded the inside of the massive passive a few months ago. 
Um, just like, hey, I wonder what this button does. And I liked it, so I kind of <laughs> left it that way. And I did that like with a tube swap. So I like that. And the Maslick, believe it or not, it actually doesn't get used too much. Um, but it's not one of those like, hey, I'm going to sell it. It's one of those that like, I am so glad that this box is here mm-hmm. because if I just need something to sound like a million dollars and it's like right there and it just, no other piece can, like the massive passive won't work for anything. If you're like harmonically just like jazzed to the hill, then it's like, I can't use really any piece of tube of transformer gear because it's like, I'm just going to add more to that, that crazy, um, like harmonic thing that is going on in the mix. Mm-hmm. So, like the Maslick comes in and it's just really nice and I have it on an MS channel on the backbone and it is just really dang nice. <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, so those are kind of like the first four pieces and sometimes I don't even really, like sometimes I just use the Maslick and I might like do a little bit of leveling with um, with the backbone. Sometimes I'll use, some, I, sometimes I have used the whole rig I have no problem using the whole rig. Uh, I have it. I have everything set up so that I can, and uh, and I may not even boost it all. I might do like like hey, I may come in, push the little gain knob, and then turn everything down by like four dB because it's like too screaming loud. Mm-hmm. Um, just like depends on like you said, it just depends on like what you need for things. Um, after the Maslick comes the foot control systems. That thing's just freaking awesome. I've said this like <laughs> on every dang gear episode. It's just really nice. Even if you're just like turning the gain knob like half a dB, it's just really nice that it does this weird thing, just opens things up. I like it a lot. Uh, and then that drives the Neve, which is funny because I normally stage the Neve first and then I drive the foot control systems into it. So, because I like the knee to be putting out at a certain level, so but like, if you go above a certain place with the with the output gain without dialing back any of the blend knob, which I always found it weird that the output gain was affected by the blend knob. So it's not really an output gain; it's just like makeup gain, um, but it's not output gain for the box because then technically the blend wouldn't really work for it. So. Um, as so long as the blend is left at 100%, there's like a certain place on the gain knobs where it doesn't really become beneficial to keep turning. Um, and so, and if you're not there with level and kind of where you want to see, because you have gear, it's like you know where eventually you want to hit things. Right. And it's like, eh, I'm not really there yet. So let's see, let's see if I can make it up somewhere. And uh, the foot control systems does a really good job of making it up. If there's just like a like some thwacks that need dethwacked. That's it's great for doing any of that kind of compression, um, and uh, I really liked that it's swept pots. Sam, I sent you one of these over the weekend, mm-hmm. and it's for sale. You should pick it up. It's pretty nice <laughs> if you're in the market for another compressor. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I I really like it. And those two are like big uh, level movers for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and then I have like a little like analog DSing section that's taking up three dB of real estate. That's pretty nice. And they both do like different things, and they both like attack different things. But it's like if there's anything harsh, um, I might use one. I might use both. 
just to kind of like like Sam said, it just really depends on on what's happening. Um, and then, yeah, instead of like doing any conversion with the Hilo, I do it all with this new head Quantum, and I like that a lot. And it's pretty uh, it's pretty tasty. A normal chain, which I, I don't have anything like like memorized. If it's like an indie rock tune, it's normally like. Let's see, like if the if the Bax is really correct. If I need something to sit here as opposed to here, um, uh, so if it's not that, I'll just leave that in. I'll kind of dial up the very mu where I want it. If nothing's crazy harsh or transient, I'll just kind of dial in a little bit of uh, level and then make sure nothing's moving more than I need it to. Uh, you can really play with like the separator link thing, seeing like, okay, it's too wide or it's too narrow or something. Let's play with that. Uh, do we need the massive passive? Normally, I play with that. Normally, don't use the MEA. Um, and it's like, don't need the foot control systems. Might do a little thing with the Neve and then might be done. So that might be a little four piece kind of a deal. <laughs> and then kind of like dialing up the output level on the backbone. Really just depends. If it's. Uh, I don't know. And then uh, once I'm back in the box, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. I always use the inflator. I love the inflator. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I don't really care too much for the uh, Oxford limiter. I will occasionally, but like it's a really bright limiter. Yeah. And if I don't need it, I won't use it. If we're still harsh and we didn't get everything, I might go through like another instance of trying to tame things and there's a few of those that I might use I really like the Weiss uh, DSer I like that a lot it's like super quiet and yeah like and anything from like a crazy vocal like even on like like the 2k range um, all the way up into like the teens it just does a really killer job um, and then it's like you have Soothe, which you you can stage those, but I find the Weiss removes things in a kind of like less analogy sounding way, mm-hmm. as opposed to the Soothe removes things in a very analog sounding way. So I'll kind of like, if I do have to use the Weiss, typically I will also use Soothe just to kind of like broadband, just to like kind of smooth some stuff out. So... um it's kind of like the Weiss is more of like a like a a, a low grit sandpaper, and Soothe <laughs> is like a pretty high grit sandpaper, mm-hmm. and so you know what I'm talking about. I do actually. So two twenty. I don't know the last time I did that, but if I ever need some help in that area, then I picked up that like DMG essence and Ooh. I opened it, and I was like, man, this is too much crap for me to worry about right now. <laughs> there are so many dang settings that like. If it's not intuitive, it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm not figuring it out until like I have like a week where I have no work. In which case, normally I'm just hanging out with my kid. <laughs> Going home early, sleeping in late. He comes and jumps in bed and it's cold now. So he like hangs out in bed and will like turn on Curious George or something. And it's kind of fun. So go get my wife a cup of coffee and yeah. That just sounds a lot more fun than like dicking around with file management or... <laughs> <laughs> learning essence when I really don't care. So I probably will never use that. Um, I've been playing a lot with the Ozone 9 Maximizer. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, just like messing with like some of the different characteristics of things. 
Um, I like the stereo adjustment you can do, and then that transient emphasis, whatever yeah. it is. If you have something that's just like smashed to the hill, you can kind of dial that sucker up to like 80%. I think it goes up to like 200%. And it kind of pulls a little bit out for you. <laughs> so that, and then normally on the back side of that, if I need to, um, if, if like something's getting caught in the limiter, I don't mind clipping that plug in and dialing like 0.1 or 0.2 up on that master rebalance mm-hmm. for like a vocal or like a drum section. Because typically it's like, What's going to get smashed out first? It's going to be like, you're going to kind of hear like the drums just kind of like slowly like fade away, like Marty McFly and Back to the Future when he's like realizing his his <laughs> parents aren't getting married. So yeah, it just kind of like fades out and then Johnny B. Good just falls apart on stage. So anyway, um, let's see. Did you ever notice that on that scene of the movie that the guy who is... Uh, like whose hand gets caught in like the screwdriver in the back of the car. He's like, he's calling like his brother, like Charles or Chuck Barry. Yeah, it's your son, it's your cousin, Marvin Barry. And he's calling like, yeah, Charles, you know what sound you've been looking for? And he puts the the phone up to Marty playing Johnny Be Good. Anyway, I always thought that was funny. Um, and then people would be like, that guitar wasn't out in 1955. What's going on? Little purists. So anyway, I really like Back to the Future. Yeah, you do. Uh, what else? So yeah, maximizer. I might play with. It's it. Ozone kind of handles light clipping really well, so I don't mind doing that. Um, and then, and all of that is like a maybe. That may be on there. The inflator typically is on. I really, really like the Pro L two. Um, I've been really digging the modern setting, and it kind of like just mellows things out in a really nice way. And do a little transient, uh, not transient, do a little ISP. And that at most is like 0. 0.8. Mm-hmm. I'm like never doing any, like that's even a lot. That's like normally like 0. 0.3 just to get like a little bit of the vibe of the of what the limiter is doing. And I'm normally pretty good. And I'm out. I might do a little, I've been playing with some oversampling later, but it's like if you're at 96 already, you're like, I'm going to oversample by four. It's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you thought your computer was having trouble before. You got another thing coming. So uh, most of most of the heavy lifting is done in the box, and it's pretty good. So yeah, I don't know if there's anything else I do. <laughs> that sounded like a lot. I'm looking at this waveform. Like shit, I could do a lot. In that. You did a lot. <laughs> I apparently do too much. <laughs> um. So I don't know. I have fun. That's what I do. I like doing this, and I have no problem coming in really early and doing it. So it's great. Yeah. What you got, Sam? Wahahal. Um, this it, is episode eighty-four. Woohoo! Is that crazy? It's it's awesome. We're gonna hit a hundred this season. That's exciting. Um, I think Dang. maybe could talk about real quick. Uh. Like when when I'm mastering a song, kind of like in the the heat of it, um, I'm constantly things I'm listening for, like my approach. Since we've kind of talked about technical and whatnot, starting when I'm actually mastering and like hitting pieces of gear, my approach is very much about stacking things, and I think yeah. 
for people, they don't understand that. And I didn't feel like I understood this till I saw some of my uh, mixer, I'll say, mentors or heroes work in person of how much the professional people that we look up to um, stack things and compress mm-hmm. and EQ over and over again uh, in stages, not all at one time with one piece of gear, but they will strategically find sweet spots within gear and take off a DB or two here, then EQ, then a DB and two here, and then maybe back to back compression, compression limiting. If the tube, you know, maybe it's a mid range tube and you get some beef and then it hits, you know, a thinner compressor. It's it's something when I'm working through songs, my gain staging and structuring is very much a make or break to my sound. And so when I'm working on things, I'm constantly figuring out the push and pull of things and I'm listening for um, basically kind of, depending on the song, and most songs I work on are pretty high energy pop and, and trap and top 40 types. So they're usually pretty loud, compressed. And I'm basically kind of listening, constantly doing an A, B, um, not to the original mix, because to me, my viewpoint of when people like A, B, a master to a mix, even level matched, it's almost irrelevant because the song has changed. Like, Mm -hmm. it's going to be different. And this is something that I think I challenge the audio industry. There's a lot of things I feel like I'm, I poke at the audio industry, but things I was taught that I'm now, I now go to and I'm like, well, this just isn't quite reality. Like level matching a mastered song to a mix is going to sound different. And maybe sometimes the mix sounds punchier because it's not as compressed, but maybe that's not where it needs to be to be finished, you know? And there's just different, there's different things I think we should be listening for when we're compare, when we're thinking about a master as compared to a mix. And I think that often gets lost when people compare, even to like at a mixer stage where the producer, whoever is like A, being against their rough production print out before it goes to mixing and they're just flipping back and forth and back and forth and cherry picking what they like and don't like. It's kind of missing to me the the point of creating and it's kind of missing out that you're not the final stage. You know, mastering mm-hmm. really is in the creation process the final stage outside of if you want to look at like what distribution does when they encode your song or get or it gets normalized. But for the most part, um, I'm not really, when I'm A-being things, I'm not really A-being against the mix ever. Um, I'm more so A-being pieces of gear against each other to create vibe and emotion and hopefully serving the song and getting it to the end product they want. Um, people send us mixes because they're, pretty much aware they don't know how to finish a song or call it done <laughs> you know at the end of the day and they're hoping that we can be a part of the process and either and bring them peace of mind and then also adjust things so that it does translate well and does sound finished and competes in the market they want to go to but 
you know, my approach and what I try and help my mixers focus on too, you know, is like, let the mix be the mix. It's not done yet. Mm-hmm. So don't compare it to the commercial or released reference because you're, you're really, you have no idea what happened in that process from mix to master. And for people that don't master every day and do it professionally, um, there's there's a lot we can do at the mastering stage more than most people think. Now that doesn't always mean we want to do it, but there's a lot we can do outside of just adjusting the two track. Um, or we can we can do things like you said at the massive passive. That's how I feel too with the massive passive. I feel like I can almost remix a song, which is mm-hmm. amazing. Or if you want to use ozone rebalance, it can have a place sometimes where you can push drums or pull vocals or push bass and it doesn't feel like it well it impacts everything but it's impacting it in a correct way Mm -hmm. so I think it's important to think about things that way but when I am working on a song I'm A being against what I'm doing against myself almost which may sound confusing but in my head I'm kind of like the eye doctor at the eye doctor going is this is this Knowing not so much better, but does this fit the context of the song and the end goal better? Mm-hmm. Um, because as we've talked about in the other podcasts, better versus different, you know, better is kind of a, a slightly moving target. And so I think for me, when I'm listening, I'm just, I'm working and listening, thinking about really where the client wants it to end up and it's my job to figure out how to get it there and then also not totally disrespect the mix <laughs> and the integrity that's there if they if they tell me they really like it you know if everybody's really happy and stoked about the mix then the last thing i want to do is send them back something that's been flipped on its head um but but a lot of people come to me at the mastering stage and are still not satisfied you know, mm. with the mix or even production, which is a hard stage to be at when we're at mastering. Um, well, it puts you into a weird spot because are you going to be able to look to deliver something to them that they are going to be able to enjoy? Right. Or are you kind of being backed into a corner? Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. So that's kind of when I approach a song and I'm working on it, you know, I'm how I decide what chain to use is really determined by the client's end goal, you know, and then I have to use my tool belt of knowing what pieces of gear do, and then I stack them to get mm-hmm. us to that end product. It's like building a little tower up with a proper foundation of bottom end. <laughs> so that's well, kind of go. what I wanted to talk a little bit about on that. And outside of that, then, you know, I think for both of us, we, we send it to a client and then nine times out of 10, they love it and we wrap and we celebrate or we make a revision, which is never an issue for me. And I know it's not for you either, Matt. Um, it's, it's fine if you need to adjust something a second time because we do that in every other stage of music and we're fine with it. But for some reason at mastering, sometimes people approach it as like you get one chance, <laughs> but Mm-hmm. I don't understand when that started to happen outside of stingy mastering engineers deciding that they want to charge you 50 to 100 bucks an hour or an extra revision. Um, when in reality, 
we are always doing multiple versions of things and we're doing that to figure out on some level people need to do that to figure out what they actually want because sometimes they just need to hear the another version to go back to the first version and go the first version was actually great so I think that's about it for me of how I kind of approach a song if anybody has any other questions you can hit Matt and I up too about this process and approach yes you know what chicken butt <laughs> oh my gosh yeah I got him you huh, on these lever you should leave a comment. Ooh, yeah. On a review. Yes. Of your signal chain. Yeah. I don't even care what you say. You don't have to say anything nice about us. I don't care about us. <laughs> I want to know your signal chain. What's your I don't want to guess chain? who you are if it's not your actual name. If you're like Ken and Barbie 43. Oh, what a great name. And you say, and you say, Manly Very Mew, uh, to like that blue vertigo compressor to. Uh, that Forcel, whatever it is. The Millennia EQ, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Forcel had a mod for it. Yeah, I'm going to figure out who you are. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Don't even say anything about the show in the podcast. Just do like a bunch of jumbo that like no one else who doesn't know anything about mastering would understand what you're talking about. That's what I want. <laughs> Give us your signal change. So, yeah. So anywho, uh, I think that's all I got. That's all I got. Sam, that seems like all, that's all you got. Take so, us home, Matt. Cool. Well, you probably hear a sweet beat queued up in the background. Wait, how do we start this uh, this episode? Do we bop it? We didn't do anything, and I actually I thought about asking you what we were going to do, and I couldn't think. I couldn't even come close to thinking what we had said. And bop it is the correct <laughs> one. <laughs> I listened to the other episode. Bop I think it. this past weekend, and. Uh, I laughed pretty hard at it. So <laughs> at least I, I I'm I'm a fan of us. So <laughs> anywho, uh, yeah, you probably hear some sweet music cute up in the background from Beats.com. Go over to there mm-hmm. and uh, give Sam's little beat making service a uh, little bit of love. Give it love. Yeah. Um, if you like what you heard and what we said. Go over to theattackandreleaseshow.com or wherever you're listening to this. Leave us a comment, some likes, some stars. But for the love of all that is holy, please just share this with somebody. Share it. So, yeah, episode 84. That's crazy. Woohoo! So, we started a bag on episode 84. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having, have a darn good one. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Are you going to tell me the cute music? Cue the music. Yeah, way. You said bye. I'm gonna cue it. Okay, we're good. Bye. And we're out. <laughs> yeah.